We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm doing great, but apparently Wally isn't. I mean, someone hit this man with the holiday spirit. Alex, this guy came off like an old-fashioned hater the other day uh, against Tyrese Halliburton, and it didn't make much sense. What do you think was behind that? I mean, obviously, he's just trying to prop up his Knicks guys. He's working for the Knicks television station. There's no doubt about it, but here's what I'll say. I don't have a problem with people criticizing Indiana Pacers players, if they want to be constructive and fair, but to be kind of uh, a jerk about it, I guess is a nice way to put it, kind of be like uh, uncalled for. I mean, I just felt like it was just so silly. He made himself look like an idiot the way he came about criticizing Tyrese Halliburton for absolutely zero reason. Like, sure, Halliburton missed some shots that could have helped the Pacers win the game there at the end, but like, okay, it's, it's, it's a one-game sample size, like, this guy's leading the entire league in assists right now, Fachi. So it's like maybe he should just step back and realize I watched one game that he played and I don't know much about him. I'm not just kind of talking inside of my mouth because he didn't even know what year he was in the NBA. Exactly. And that that immediately, not to say debunked his whole thing, but it immediately showed this guy doesn't watch the Pacers. Saying that Tyrese Halliburton was in his second year just off the bat was like, you don't watch Tyrese. And you're talking about the exact words were, wanna be all-star and he said it a few times like as if that Tyrese is like you know I don't know pulling like what Lance Stevenson did with the Sir Lance a lot like having like videos like that or coming out about trying to be an all-star it's like 
No, this man's letting his play speak for itself. Halliburton at one point over a, about a three-and-a-half game stretch had 48 assists to zero turnovers. So talking about when you mentioned the guy that leads the NBA in assists, he's also averaging nearly 20 points per game to go with it. I looked it up. No player in NBA history has ever averaged 20 points per game, 10 assists, and shot 40% from three. Halliburton right now, 19.5 uh, points per game, 10.7 assists, and shooting nearly 39% from three. What about his play is wannabe when he's making everybody around him better? I mean, no offense, but the word wannabe, like, I'm pretty sure Tyrese does want to be an all-star. It's kind of stupid. Like, it's just the way he used it was so derogatory. And he used it in, like, a poser-type way. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this. I had absolutely zero idea that Wally Zerbiak worked for Nick's TV, Okay. Um, I honestly forgot that he used to be a CBS college analyst. I just remember Wally Zerbiak from his days in Minnesota when he was back on the, on the Timberwolves in the early two thousands. And I remember it was this white guy with spiky black hair that could shoot threes and, you know, had a really weird last name in terms of how to spell it. And that's pretty much all I remember about Wally Zerbiak. And so now for him to becoming one of the most hated pacers, uh, I not, not a hated pacer, but he like a pacer hater, I should say, mm -hmm. it's yep. like, dude, you know, what a, what a way to be relevant. Nobody even cared about you until you started dogging Tyrese. I mean, just just an idiot. First of all, what kind of name is Wally anyway? It made me think of his name could be Waldo. I had to look it up. It's Walter. I mean, it was just, that's how, like, little there's really known about Wally Zerbiak, the one-time All-Star, when he made it as the second fiddle to KG, if you even want to give him that. But this is a guy that in his All-Star year averaged below 19 points and five rebounds. It was just like that in today's game. Think about that in today's game when there's like five players averaging 30 points per game or more and like over 20 averaging above 20 points per game. So those stats would never cut it as an all-star uh, in today's game. And I, I just felt like the hate was beyond unwarranted. Tyrese Halliburton's 18 double-doubles leads all guards this year in the NBA. Um, he's a wannabe all-star, Faji. I mean, good mm -hmm. group. Yeah. Uh, whenever I think of the name Wally, I think of Leave It to Beaver. Yeah, you know, I think of Fine Waldo. Like that's what I think of. It's it's close enough to that. It's just, oh my God, come well, on. If anybody remembers, Wally was uh, Ward's son. Uh, <laughs> it's Beaver's brother, Wally Wally Cleaver, and mm. <laughs> that's all I can think of. Or the uh, Disney animated show Wally. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Where's Waldo is what I meant when I said fine Waldo. But it, it's just that, I'm yeah. I, I, didn't even I mean, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I thought of. I was like, it's not fine Waldo. What is it? But yeah, I mean, a wannabe all star. Oh, please. That was the most relevant Wally Zerbiak's been since he made an all star 20 years ago. I mean, absolutely, Fachi. So enough with giving him the, 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 you know, the, the rundown here, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. In terms of how we're talking about them, let's jump into this Pacers weekend. Obviously, we did a little bit of the uh, Pacers Christmas wish list, and uh, you know it was a, it was a fun little exercise. But now the Pacers have lost two games in a row. They lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They lost to the New York Knicks. And I mean, those were some games that they were really right there, Fachi, that they could have won. So let's start with that Cavaliers game on Friday night. Very tough game to to lose because of how they went about losing it, but. You have to love the effort from this team overall uh, in a game against one of the better Eastern Conference teams. Absolutely. Look, this is a Cavs team that came. We, we were on the road. 
The Cavs had the best, and they still do, the best home record in the NBA. This is a team that is built to go for it all after they made the move for Donovan Mitchell. And the Pacers, you can make an argument, outplayed the Cavs across the board and even led by 13 points in the fourth quarter. This was set up to be, in my opinion, the best win of the season. And unfortunately, the Pacers played three and a half quarters of really good basketball before crumbling when it mattered most. In the end, Donovan Mitchell not only drops 41, he matches what the Pacers scored in the fourth quarter with 18 points. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell was really tough in that fourth quarter. And that's where you kind of saw, man, the Pacers miss that go-to guy, right? Absolutely. That was my biggest takeaway from this game, obviously. A lot of different ways you can look at it. Like, solid game from Tyrese, but he didn't hit a three. He was 0 of 8. That was something that stuck out to me. Like, man, he really struggled from out there. I thought Benedict Matherin played really well. 22 points in 29 minutes. And the way he was looking for a shot was a bit different than I feel like we've seen in recent games. He was really active looking for a shot. And I was kind of surprised, but Jalen Smith back in the starting lineup. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, the Cavaliers do have two bigs and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But, you know, it's just been like feast or famine here with Jalen Smith. And he ended up having nine points in 14 minutes. He didn't play terrible, but, you know, he didn't play a ton. And Aaron Smith ended up getting starter level minutes with 29 minutes with Mather and getting 29 as well. So between the starting five plus those two, that was kind of your rotation. But, yeah, I mean, this was a game to me where the Pacers, at the end of the day, they were competitive. They were, they had some leads, but it just felt like the Cavaliers were just too talented at the end of the day. No doubt about it. I mean, the Pacers got off to a good start, shot like 60% in the first quarter. And like you said, you had a, uh, they led by nine going into the fourth. That, that lead grows to 13, but the Pacers were outscored 35 to 18 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, in, to be very specific, in the final five minutes and 42 seconds of the game, Cavs outscore the Pacers 13 to two. So that was frustrating. One of the big differences in that game, the Pacers get to the line for 19 attempts. The Cavs shot 32 free throws. Mm-hmm. So that was a major difference over there. And it this is the exact example to show that the Pacers are just not there yet. And this is what we kind of hoped for going into the year of like, I want to see something. And they, they gave the Cavs a good fight, but we don't have a Donovan Mitchell of our own. I mean, they have the Cavs have a good team around them. I mean, they made that trade to bring in Karis LeVert last year. They made the big trade, the blockbuster trade, to bring in Donovan Mitchell. So it shows that they're gearing up for it all, and we're, we're not. But there are some bright spots over there, and I felt like the Pacers just they couldn't close this one out. It's frustrating, and I think they're starting to run into this problem a little bit that you know, while they, they get off to a slow start most of the time, this time they just couldn't close when it mattered most. Yeah, and that's kind of becoming the new reoccurring problem yep, <laughs> with this team over the last couple of games. They can't close them out, but we, we've talked about this. When this Pacers team struggles to hit from three, that's when it seems like they have their biggest struggles and they lose a lot of their games. If you look at the stats here, Pachi, just 30% from three mm-hmm. on 11 of 36 attempts. So, the Cavaliers shot 45%. So you're talking about a 15% difference here. And you can tell, like, even though the Cavs are bigger with Mobley and Allen, it really wasn't the inside game that hurt the Pacers because the Pacers actually had a whopping 18 more points in the paint than the Cavaliers did. So this all came down to Donovan Mitchell had the hot hand. He was hitting everything outside. I mean, honestly, 
it, it took a lot to really kind of cool them down and the Pacers never did. So that's one of those things. It's like when they're not hitting their shots outside from three, and I know Halliburton was a big contributor of this being O of eight, when they're not hitting shots from outside, that's when they're really uh, struggling to score offensively. And I mean, the fact that they got so many points in the paint is kind of a, a testament that they went away from shooting the threes as much because they knew they weren't falling. But, you know, overall, if you look at all the other stats, everything is really close percentage-wise, number-wise, rebound-wise, assist-wise. Pacers ended up having 11 more, but everything else was relatively close besides the stuff we pointed out. But, I mean, this this to me was a game that the Pacers should have won, but the Cavaliers have been red hot in, De in December, especially Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's put up some insane numbers so far, and I think that's why he was uh, a nominee for, for player of the week. And, and deservedly so. He really has been awesome. I mean, in the game, 14 of 24 shooting, 8 of 15 from three. Uh, he he was great. He really was. And also a couple of things. Alex, the 34 assists that the Pacers had, that was a season high. They were moving the ball really well through three quarters. I mean, they outscored Cleveland's bench. I mean, there was there was just so much that the Pacers did well. There was this was a this was a really tough loss, and I, I even you know read from looking at a couple quotes that the locker room was really quiet. Here was the quote: "It said this one hurts a lot. It was a locker room that was really quiet after the game. Everyone was not happy with our performance in the fourth quarter. We have to play a full forty-eight minutes. If we did that, it, we would have had a different tune." And Aaron Eastman said that, and so it shows that it just this one hurt the boys. It hurt the fans too because. You could see we're starting to slip a little bit, and it, 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 it was tough. But, man, Cleveland, this is why they're as good of a team as they are. This is the game that separates the contenders from the pretenders. And I don't want to call the Pacers a pretender, but we're starting to see, hey, we're not the fourth seed or the fifth seed like we were early on. Things will even out eventually. Let me ask you this because I got this got? take. <laughs> I got this take from fans on social media when I asked, because I wasn't able to watch a game live, I had to go back and watch it. And I understand the sentiment from fans, but they said that the that Carlisle left the bench in there too long. You did. should have went you back did. to the starters sooner. And if you look at the plus minus, the Pacers starter out, starters outside of Buddy, who ran a lot with that second unit, they had a minus or they had a positive plus minus rating. The, the starters did. Now, the bench it was pretty bad. I mean, uh, minus 12 for Neesmith, minus eight for Matherins, minus seven, both for I Isaiah Jackson and TJ McConnell. And then of course, Buddy Hill was a minus eight as well. So that bench unit that they had running there together just wasn't able to get it done. And then on the flip side, former Pacer Karis LeVert off the bench plus 17. So yep. the Karis LeVert lineups were huge. The Lamar Stevens lineups were terrible and the Cavs figured that out quickly, and that's why LeVert ended up playing a lot more minutes than him, uh, you know, down the stretch. So that's that's where I was kind of looking at things and, and kind of going off the top of my memory because, you know, when you watch two games back-to-back -back and you don't keep a lot of notes, it's kind of like all blur, especially this mm -hmm. season. A lot of stuff going on, but I just I was just curious your thoughts on on the bench unit and, and what, what you thought from them overall. It's 100% true because, you know, I even have it pulled up to be very exact. At the 643, so the Pacers had a – 13-point lead in the fourth quarter with, you know, you still had that bench unit in there. Uh, at the 6.43 mark, that's when the Pacers called timeout. Uh, by then, that 13-point lead, we were trailing by two. So everything disappeared, and by 6.43, when you bring in the starters again, Cleveland had so much momentum that you just could not stop them, and it was just, it was over from there. 
It, it was a little too much McConnell. I, I know McConnell's taken some hate over there. There's a couple of turnovers, had, had a, a three-point attempt that shouldn't have happened. O'Shea got a couple shots up that didn't go in. It just, it was not, he rode the, the, the bench unit too long, and it definitely hurt the Pacers in this game because I do think that if you could have got the starters back in maybe around the, the nine, 10 minute mark, anything like that, you, you maybe don't win this game, but it comes down basically to the wire instead of what I mentioned where the Cavs ended up just kind of, you know, putting their foot on our throats towards the end and, and just, just taking this win back. Yeah. That's when Donovan Mitchell did a lot of his damage too, was yes. that cutting that, cutting that lead down and getting the lead back for the Cavaliers. So you know, this was a, this was a fun game. This is a game I thought they probably would lose, Fachi. I did too. Just did. because I know the Cavaliers have really done a good job of getting themselves into a spot where they have a team now that can really be competitive. And, and they're still trying to work things out. Like, the Cavaliers are not a perfect team by any stretch of the mean. They still are missing that fifth guy with their starting lineup. But, you know, for right now, Kyrie Slavert, I mean, we saw him here be, like, the number one option at times and didn't look Ugh. bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a little he, bit. It was he good. won some games for us. There's no yeah, doubt about yeah. it. So him being a fifth option is much better than what he was here. So yeah, you got to like that. But then another chance on Sunday to redeem them, redeem themselves against the New York Knicks. And this was another game, Fachi, that had a very similar ending, where it's back and forth, back and forth. But unfortunately, the Pacers towards the end just could not put this Knicks team away. Back and forth is a good way to put it. 19 lead changes. Yes. And then once again, the Pacers have a six-point lead. It's 104 to 98 with just under two minutes to go. And, and the Pacers could not close out. Now, this would have been another really good win. This was the Knicks on a six-game winning streak. And in this three-point loss, Alex, we missed eight free throws. The Knicks made all six when it mattered most at the end of the game. Pacers went 15 of 23 from the free throw line. That can't happen like this. It just can't. Against Cleveland, they went 17 and 19. Great. You can afford two misses. But man, there's just there was there was so much across the board. And I know that, you know, the Knicks pride themselves on being a defensive unit. That's really how they're built under Tibbs. But man, the Pacers got out rebounded by five. They had 15 turnovers and they went one of nine from three in the fourth. Talked about it. This team is very reliant on the three-point ball. And when it's not going in, we're not winning. Yeah, I mean, it's a similar story to the Cavs game, right? We shot like 30% against the Cavs, and, you know, our numbers were better this game overall as a, as a team. But, you know, it, it comes down to the guys like Miles Turner, who were just two of uh, two of eight from three. Halliburton was two of six. You know, Mathern and Duarte were both 0 of two. Jalen Smith, 0 of one. You know, Andrew Nimhart, 0 of three. I know he got some looks there at the end that just didn't, you know, fall, but – Buddy Hill shot 50% from three, and Aaron Neesmith was, was four of six. I mean, those were the guys carrying the offense there for the most part. And um, I, I got to share this because, you know, I, I work at a machine shop, and I, I talk to guys regularly about basketball, and it's usually the same three or four. But there was one guy that I don't usually talk to too much about the Pacers, but he's like, man, I'm disappointed with those Pacers. He said, I watched that game Sunday night, and my goodness, he said, can Miles Turner please quit shooting threes every time he touches the ball? Like, hey – you know, get a clue, guy. I'm not even saying go down low, but maybe pass the ball to Buddy Hill. Like he seems to be hitting them okay. And I just started laughing. I'm just like, you know, this is this is the the love hate relationship with Miles Turner. It really I mean, is. I mean, I said, well, I said he's been shooting really well. I said to his defense, he's shooting about 40 percent for the year. So, you know, he's like, I get it. Shooters got to shoot. He's like, but eventually, at some point in the game, don't you realize I'm not hitting any of these? Mm -hmm. I got to pass it up to someone that is. And it's like, you know, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. 
whether you agree or disagree, but you know, it was a tough shooting night for Miles. Don't get me wrong. He looked great walking in in the Mandalorian costume with his sister. They were fantastically dressed for Star Wars night, but you know, it was not a good uh, night for Miles. Two of ten, Fachi overall for just six measly points, eight rebounds. Yes, he had some block shots as always, but you want to see him getting a, a little bit more efficient scoring there for the Pacers because they need it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think you can make an argument this might have been the worst Turner game of the year. It's it's six points, eight boards on paper. Uh, that might, Kings game was so it, bad. It, 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 was, it was bad. It was. But one of the things that I'll say over here, two of ten from the field, but eight of your ten shots came from the three-point well, line. It, that's that's kind of what thing. my guy was saying when he exactly. was like, pass the ball, man. It, yeah, but if you're not hitting it, you're two of eight right over there. I mean, that's not good. But also, let's look on the flip side. The Knicks' bigs crashed the glass 27 rebounds between Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson I mean that right over there it was big and I just feel like we need right now yes the the rebounding effort can't fall onto Miles Turner eight rebounds is very good for for him it's that's that's great but it it just feels like you also got to do a little bit more in the paint and the Knicks did I mean guess you got to shout out the Knicks defense they did a great job of pushing Turner out to the three-point line, never even letting him really get settled in the paint, and it showed. I mean, also, one thing I got to throw out there, 0-4 from the free-throw line for Miles Turner yeah. in this game. We lost by three. That's not on Turner, but it, it's – come on, man. This is this is a guy that – this is a big that can shoot. You can't go 0-4 from the free-throw line. You can go 2-4, even that wouldn't be great, but you know what? Hey, it makes a difference, and in this game, you can't go 0-4 from the free-throw line, 2-10 of 10 from the field – 
and get heavily, you know, out rebounded on the glass. It's just uh it's it's a tough performance right over there. Minus eight for the game. You look at everybody in the game, that minus eight, it's uh it's just behind uh O'Shea Brissett's three minutes where he was a minus ten. I mean, that's that's hard to do, but uh, you know, it, it was not a, a game to write home about. But what I want to do, I want to take a quick moment and shout out Aaron Neesmith, who had a career-high 23 points, a career-high 10 rebounds. And Alex, we, we might have blinked for a moment, but in the month of December, Neesmith is averaging 11 points per game, four rebounds. He's shooting 53% from the field and 46% from three. That and he's doing it in just under twenty three minutes. Yeah. That's a real good month out of out of uh, especially Neesmith, but let alone any type of you know fringe starter rotational guy right over there. That's a real solid month. He's really really turned it turned it around. I, I'm not even sure exactly when it was. Maybe it was on that road trip, Fachi, that we kind of saw him start to yep. play a different style. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it just feels like he is in, he's more comfortable with what he's doing. And I, I love what Rick Carlisle to say about him. Like he's just a he's just a dog, man. Like we've wanted a guy like that for a while on this yep. team. And watching him play defense against Julius Randle, look, Randle still had a really good game statistically, but you're talking about Julius Randle, who's like six foot nine, two hundred and thirty five to fifty pounds. I don't even know exactly, but he's a big dude, okay. And you got Aaron Neesmith, who's like what six five. Yep. What is he like? Two hundred and some pounds? Like he's not two hundred fifteen. Okay, yeah. So you're talking about a guy that's at least 25 pounds heavier and four inches taller than him. That's a tough matchup. And honestly, I felt more comfortable with him out there guarding him than anybody else on the roster. And number one, that tells you where our roster's at. But number two, it tells you Aaron Neesmith's a dog. And you can trust him to go out there and, and play those kind of minutes because he's shooting the ball effectively. He's playing his role correctly. He's not overstepping his boundaries very effective on the glass spot. He led the team in rebounds against the Knicks with 10 boards. You know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, this guy is a team first guy. He's going to give it all that he has. He's trying to make a name for himself in the league. We know very well that he is trying to get that second contract. And if he can continue to shoot like this, you know, coach Thorpe said he can't shoot. Well, if he continues to play like this, I think there's a spot for him. And, um, a very good spot for him in the NBA, whether it's with the Pacers or not the Pacers. Um, I'll throw this at you. Jay Query was on my uh, Blue and Golden podcast that I do on YouTube last week. He said that Aaron Neesmith is kind of like the Solomon Hill to this Pacers team that you kind of overlook him. You kind of don't think he's that important. But then when you don't have a guy like him, you realize how much you miss him because he said, yeah, Solomon Hill had a rough couple of years with the Pacers, but that one year that he played really well, I think it was his contract year, right? It was. Next to Paul George with George Hill, that group, like he just looked like he was that missing piece that they needed. And, and honestly, he was really good in that playoff series as well. I kind of understand the comparison. Um, maybe not perfect, but I thought it was a good one. I, I definitely get the comparison. You know, I think that Neesmith, you know, this year is already having a better year than, than Solomon Hill. Um, I hope we don't overpay him like Solomon Hill got overpaid. <laughs> that was wild. Everybody got um, overpaid that summer. Though. That Let's was a crazy summer of 2016. It really, the money getting thrown around was nuts. But 
Uh, Neesmith now in, in this, if he's able to not, even, not do this, it's too much to ask for 23 and 10. But if you could just continue to make shots like this, dive for the loose balls, give a great effort on, on defense, there's always going to be a home for you in the NBA if you could especially knock down shots. So mm. I like what we've seen out of him lately. But one guy that then ended up making the move back to the bench, Jalen Smith, feels like he's kind of being rotated into the starting lineup based on matchups, just kind of like what we talked about about the Cavs. She plays just 11 minutes. I did the math. Ever since Miles Turner was out against the Golden State Warriors earlier in the month, Jalen Smith is averaging just about 13 minutes per game. Yeah. Alex, that is not what anyone could have predicted coming into this season. So it just feels like he's the guy that's kind of a in and out of the starting rotation now. Hasn't played more than 17 minutes in quite some time. I mean, uh, what do you think? Do you think he's going to be that fringe starter here on out, like in and out, or uh, does he finally make a move just to the bench moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one thing that we forgot to bring up to start off was Chris Duarte made his return for the for the game against the Nets, right? He did. That he did. And, and we were kind of speculating that case, probably going to return soon, if not Sunday, for sure Wednesday against the Celtics. Like we knew that return was coming very quickly, was rehabbing with the G League, played a couple games there, whatnot, but. I was kind of interested to see how they, you know, use the rotation. And if I'm not mistaken, Isaiah Jackson was the first big inserted into the game. He ended up getting 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. O'Shea Brissett was actually the fifth person that went into the game from the bench. And Jalen Smith was not going in. But then O'Shea Brissett, I think he had like a turnover or two in like a short amount of time. No, he didn't even have a turnover. Whatever it was, the team played bad with him in the game. Three minutes, he was a minus 10. I think you already brought that up earlier. Yeah. So, he was not playing well, and so they went went ahead and said, okay, O'Shea, come out. We're putting Jalen in. They went with Jalen, Isaiah Jackson, Duarte, Matherin, and McConnell, which isn't a bad, you know, five in the second unit. And it, it kind of came together a little bit better there with that group. So that is one of those things where I'm sitting here watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, Jalen Smith is about to be played out of the rotation. Like, now that Duarte's back, are they going to, like, mix up his and Isaiah Jackson's minutes to try to get them both? you know, some opportunities here at the backup center. I'm just like, this is becoming a problem. Uh, and, and and it's kind of a good problem that there's so many players that you want to see. But at the same time, it's like Jalen Smith signed to be a starter and now he's got his role so reduced. I mean, he's got to earn it. He's not been a good fit next to Miles, no doubt about it. But I just, I got to, I got to wonder, like, what is the end game here for him? I really don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with Jalen Smith. Uh, I feel like at this point, oh, man. I mean, just it's you can't rough. Trade that, him. You cannot trade no, him. No, it would no. look so bad on your franchise if you trade him. So, I mean, if anybody out there is like, hey, we got to trade Jalen Smith. No, like, no. This is the only guy that signed chose a free us. agency. He chose this over getting paid a lot of money. There is absolutely zero chance the Pacers trade him in year one. Now, maybe in the offseason or next year, they look at it and say, look, this didn't work out like we had hoped. We know you took a gamble on us. Let's trade you somewhere else or maybe get some more playing time. But right now, there's absolutely zero chance or zero way you can really make a trade up unless he requests one. But I don't think he's that kind of guy, Fudge. I don't think he is. I think he's going to ride this out. I also think that um, if the Pacers do make a move uh, involving Turner towards the back end of the year, Jalen Smith as the lone big will prosper far more. I think that the fit with him and Turner just hasn't really worked out. I, I feel like you kind of need one of them to be a little bit more of the aggressor. And I feel like kind of haven't seen that, you know, mm -hmm. at least you knew with Sabonis and, and Turner, it was like, 
Sabonis is going to have scratches on his arms down low and maybe bleeding because he's drawing contact and grabbing down rebounds and putting up 20 and 10. But right now you got two guys, two bigs that like to shoot. They're, you know, they're decent-ish rebounders, I, I would say. You know, good, not great rebounders. But they're not known to really make their, their money in the paint. And I, I think that it's kind of been a little bit of an awkward fit. So I think the Pacers got to ride it out, see what happens. If uh, Jalen Smith ends up being the lone big, I think he'll do much better. But dating, you know, moving back to Chris Duarte, nice to have him back. Played 15 minutes. Kind of a forgettable performance. Yeah, you know, he, not, was, not, you know, he was rusty. Yeah. It was rusty. I mean, two of five from the free throw line, that's the ultimate rust. You know, he was two yeah. of five from the field. Two of five from the free throw line is like, whoa, uh, this man needs to get some shots up. I know we got the two games with the with the Mad Ants. One of them is good. One of them not so much. But happy to have him back. It definitely helps. Pacers could use his shot making and defensive capabilities. But we, we definitely learned quickly O'Shea Brissett could very well be the odd man out now. We knew someone's minutes had to go. Like you mentioned, great to see Isaiah Jackson, you know, consistently be back compared to there was a span where his minutes were falling off. Yeah, that's one of the things I was worried about because, I I mean, I think Isaiah fits this team's future more than Jalen Smith. I just feel like the style they like to play is more suited to him because he's the only one that can be a real lob threat. Jalen Smith is a better shooter, theoretically, but he really hasn't hit, the, hit that many threes. He's He's been kind of meh from behind the arc, and I think if he shot more threes or hit more threes, he wouldn't be in this situation. But um, I was going to bring up something interesting about Miles Turner, Fachi, but yeah. you kind of pivoted to Aaron Neesmith, so I'm going to kind of close it out here with, like, just overall, like, not recapping the Knicks or the Cavs game, but the Pacers have now played 25 games with Miles Turner this season, Okay. They've won 12, they've lost 13. So about 500 when he plays. Now listen to this. In games that the Pacers have lost with Miles Turner, he's averaging 14.2 points, 7.3 rebounds, and 1.8 blocks on, let's see here, he's shooting, let's get this right, 48.9% from the field in losses, 37.5% from three in losses, and 63.4% from the free throw line in losses. And overall, is a minus 109 in those games. Now, go to the wins. Listen to this. In 12 games in the wins this year, Turner has averaged 19.9 points, 8.4 rebounds, 2.5 blocks on shooting splits. Here we go. I'm going to get this up for you. Field goal percentage, 59.6. Three-point percentage, 48.6. Free throw percentage, 84% plus 114 okay the Pacers basically are going to win every single one of their games if Miles Turner plays well if he doesn't play well they're probably going to lose there's been a handful of games here I think where they've won where he scored you know just average points 10 points is his lowest scoring game that, that he's had when they won they beat the Orlando Magic every other time he's had 14 or more so I just think it's it's crazy to say but when Miles Turner plays really well, the Pacers win games. When he plays average or below average, they lose every game. So I think if you look at this Pacers team from a from a distance, you got to realize how important Miles Turner has been to their wins and how, you know, when they've lost, it's partially been because he has struggled offensively to put up the same production that he has in the games they've won. No doubt. When he's good, he's great. 
I mean, we've seen some really good performances when Turner, you know, has has had some big games. It's he's doing it all. It's just like the confidence is there. The shot making is big. It changes how the defense, you know, is playing against the Pacers and just he's blocking shots left and right. But when there's those games you know, against the Knicks where it is just one block and then it's hard to put that pressure on someone. But when you call yourself, you know, the best shot blocker, you know, in the world and, and you arguably could be. The Pacers are counting on, you know, more, you know, real rim protection on a consistent basis. And also just kind of sometimes playing, you know, to your size. I mean, it's there's some bigs that really get to them. But when Turner has it going on, the Pacers are a dangerous team. It's just always been about consistency. And sometimes he's come out and he's looked awesome, whether it's dropping 40 points and then it might be the next game could come out with, not to say a dud, but a kind of a subpar performance. And then to no surprise, the Pacers lose that game. It's hard for us to win games if he has six points on two of 10 shooting. It really is. There's other players that we can do that. We can do that if a guy like Buddy is struggling from the field, you know, or like, you know, like a, a Nemhard or a Neesmith. But there's a lot of times where Turner is expected to be that second or third best option for the Pacers. And if he's not there, it, it, it's really tough to win games. So those are some great stats that you pulled up. Yeah, because I was just kind of curious. I'm like, is it really that close? Has he, like, had some big performances and they've lost a game? I think his best performance in a loss was the game at home against Minnesota. Yeah, like he had 30. With, yeah, yeah that was like – and if you think about that, you take that game out there, I really wonder what his averages are. It's got to plummet. Instead probably, of 14, 10, you know, it might yeah, be 10 I, I don't know. It's 12 games, so probably closer to 12. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe 13, but – Regardless, I just think with what Miles has done, like one way to look at it is we're a very guard-heavy team, Fachi. Very. And, and I just think at the end of the day, when we get some of our big men going, like the games that Isaiah Jackson has played in well, I feel like we've won most of those games. Whenever we've had a big play well, I feel like we usually win. So it's good to get the guards involved, and then we know our guard-heavy team when we like to score a lot through our guards. But we got to get our one of our bigs going because when one of our bigs is going – we are a more complete team, and I think it just gets a different dynamic to the game because when you have to worry about Miles shooting or Miles going down low on a pick and roll where he's switching and, and getting a mismatch down there, it just adds a different type of pressure on the defense that you're facing. So that to me is why I just feel like looking at these stats, it makes a thousand percent sense to me. We got to get Miles going earlier, and maybe that's just running a couple more plays for him instead of maybe Buddy because we know Buddy can get it going anytime. Get Miles going earlier, and maybe you're going to get yourself some more wins because when Miles has confidence and he's playing well, the team looks totally different. When Miles is struggling like he was from three against the Knicks, you see a totally different style of play from this team. I don't know how we'll ever get the stat. We've talked about it before. Someone's got to dig up a stat when Turner hits his first shot. What's the Pacers' record, or what are his averages in that game? Because it, it's totally different player. We, we've talked about it before. When, when that those first couple buckets don't go in, it kind of sets the tone for a game that that is not uh, it's not what we're looking for. But when he hits that first shot, tends to really soar off. So right now the Pacers they got a hard schedule coming up. We got a revenge game against Malcolm Brogdon coming up. <laughs> you know, a, a cold dish might be getting served our way by Brogdon. Uh, he he's been he's been just what the Celtics needed this year. But I still think that the trades worked out uh, really good for both teams. But Boston, man, I mean, they are playing at, at an elite level. And this schedule ain't getting any easier for the Pacers. So everybody buckle up. But here's what I'll say. Despite the wins, despite the losses, I have seen enough so far to be extremely encouraged 
for the rest of the season, regardless of what the record is. I'm having a fun time right now. We're keeping games competitive. The Pacers really are not getting blown out. I mean, they're losing close games, which in the beginning of the season was probably what a lot of people asked for. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, there's people that are mad when you say stuff about tanking because they're so anti-tank, and and that's fine. You know, feel however you want to feel. I don't think anybody should be ridiculed for how they want this season to go. I think what the front office told us at the beginning of the season was this is a, a, a different direction that never gone before. Can't lose sight of that, Fachi. This is a team that is still trying to develop young players. Now, they're not trying to purposely lose games. Nobody expected them to do that, but they thought the losses would come more generically because of their inexperience, but they've been able to like rely upon the shoulders of the veterans and Buddy and Turner and even TJ McConnell at certain points with, with the young players playing out of their mind. I mean, the young players have played so well, Flachi, that it's given this team more wins than they even anticipated heading into the season. So it's uh, it's really cool to see. It's good to see where this team's at overall, and it's good to see that we're actually being competitive, even if we're not winning a ton of games right now. I think we've lost – Eight of our last eleven, Fachi. So it's Oof. not been it's not been a good December for us. But we knew it was going to be a gauntlet once we saw that once we saw that Western Conference road trip, uh, followed up with a bunch of tough ones here in uh, Cambridge Fieldhouse. So we'll see how the rest of the month of December goes. But it does not seem like the Pacers are going to finish this month with a five hundred or better record. No, I, I don't think we will. But you know what? Uh... I'm staying for the ride. I ain't going nowhere, all right? You couldn't pay me to jump off this shit. You're staying for the ride if we lose the next 30. Come on, man. I'll be here. You can count on that. So <laughs> Alex and I will still continue to be bringing you grade A content, win or loss. I'm super excited about what's ahead. And, uh, you know, Alex, anything else you wanted to add before we got off the air? No, the only thing I want to say is screw Wally Zerbiak. Fox, you oh, tell people yeah. where they can find us out on social media absolutely so you can find us on twitter at setting the pace three you can find alex on twitter at alex golden nba i can be found on twitter at underscore f-a-c-c-i you can find us on instagram at pacers talk you can find us on facebook at setting the pace you can find us on tiktok at setting the pace and alex tell them where they can check us out on youtube go to youtube.com slash setting the pace a pacers podcast we will have another episode of the balloon golden up later this week hope you all have a great christmas and Fachi will be back on Thursday to recap that game, a little bit of the Boston Celtics and the Pacers, but we're also we're getting into trade season, everybody. So me and Fachi, not doing fake trades. Everybody can calm down. I don't want to get yelled at for that. But we're going to be doing our top five trade candidates that we want to see the Pacers go after this season. So it'll be interesting to see what we come up with. But that being said, if you believe that Tyrese Halliburton is going to be an all-star this season, and hit me with those two words. Let's go, Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.